Hi and welcome to episode 12 of Sentience All That Matters, the show where we discuss everything regarding veganism. So whether you're vegetarian, vegan curious, already vegan or a vegan activist, this show is for you and I'm here to debate all the aspects of a vegan life with anybody that wants to discuss it. We're here to have some inspirational discussions and help everybody find their way to the one true path. So just some quick housekeeping. Our Facebook is Sentience All That Matters. Pop on there and join the uh, public group and you can see what we've been getting up to. Our TikTok videos is at Activist269. The website is sentienceatm.earth. And again, our YouTube channel is sentienceatm. You can go on there and see some videos of the pig rescue and the street theatre that we've done as well as our street outreach. And if you have any queries or any questions or any subject matter you'd like to be covered in the show, you can email us sentienceatm at gmail.com. Okay, on this week's show we will have our usual animal rights hero and we will also have our thought of the day. We'll also be discussing Easter lamb eating and what on earth is going on there, taking a look at where the tradition came from and why it is just so disconnected and barbaric. We'll also be looking at the latest vegan news coming through the pipeline. We'll also be discussing what your perception might be of the true meaning of being an abolitionist as there seems to be just a tad of confusion currently in the movement leading some people to act in a less than kind manner during street outreach so grab yourself a fresh coffee sit back in your favorite armchair and get ready for some topical debate right after this little cherry I'm 
Okay, welcome back. So let's get on to our first item this week. Seasonal lamb, eating lambs at Easter. So where does this all come from? Why do we still do it? Why did it even start in the first place? And just how you'll come to understand how the entire thing is a complete joke by the end of listening to this piece. So those that do consume lamb more than likely think of eating lamb at Easter in the same way as they think of eating turkey at Christmas. But this culinary custom is at odds with seasonal eating. Most British lambs are not ready to be eaten in spring. Indeed, they have only recently been born, hence images of fluffy lambs in fields. The spring birth is nature's way of ensuring the lambs get grass at its freshest, sweetest and most nutritious. So the lambs fatten up in the fields and are slaughtered towards the end of summer and the carcasses are hung to apparently bring extra taste. So the only time you will get grass-fed British lamb is from autumn onwards. So what are you eating when you're eating Easter lamb? Well, the likelihood it's either from New Zealand or British lambs which have not been in a sniffing distance of fresh grass. Born midwinter from ewes artificially stimulated to get pregnant out of season, they are reared indoors on grain or concentrate, not fresh grass. New Zealand lambs are born in spring, which corresponds to our autumn, and reared on grass. The UK is one of the biggest importers of New Zealand lamb. Now obviously having lambs transported 11,000 miles produces an extremely heavy carbon footprint with the biggest joke being due to the incorrect growing season in the UK the majority of UK lamb is exported. Yes you heard me right because of the time of year people decide to eat lamb we have to import it to eat at that time and then export the lamb that we don't want 
because it's not at the correct time of year. Ludicrous. So why don't British farmers just change the season for their British lambs? Well, the reason is it has consequences. The feed cost is high, feed is often imported, making it more expensive, and keeping lambs indoors inevitably leads to a greater use of antibiotics and wormers. So basically, once again, a money-saving, profit-orientated exercise. Looking back in history, it's clear that eating lamb is a modern concept. Lamb is not mentioned in old cookery books. Sheep were kept primarily for their wool because even an old sheep grows a new fleece each year. The sheep would only be eaten as mutton near the end of its useful life. Wool drove Britain's economy for several centuries until colonial cotton took over the mills. And even at the start of the 20th century, half our cheeses were from ewes milk. The lamb is an ancient religious symbol for new life, but the British only adopted it fairly recently as a festive dish. It's powerful symbolism ripe for post-war marketing. As the wool industry declined, sheep farmers needed a new market. And as usual, if you follow the money, industry-led initiatives deliberately created new British traditions such as the idea of eating lamb at Easter. So there you have it, that is why you are eating lamb at Easter. Massive marketing exercise, just like the milk board when the milk board managed to blag milk into schools. Here we are with the sheep farmers managing to blag a brand new reason for you to consume their animal body parts dressed up as a season of love and caring you know the funny thing the more and more that i do these pieces for this show the more and more embarrassed i get that i used to participate in such idiotic traditions brainwashed into me without even once questioning why there's a piece of somebody's body on the plate in front of me and really in 2023 as a grown adult if you can't understand that hacking up a baby lamb into pieces for a tradition that you don't even understand or recognize yourself within your family group is just so outdated barbaric and ridiculous then really perhaps you need to sit down and question the way that you're living your life and bringing up your family items like this are supposed to trigger a response in you and really honestly the response it needs to trigger is that you no longer want to participate in such a horrendous pointless exercise for something that really brings very little into your life yet costs the lamb its entire life
So there you go. Stop eating lamb because you don't really understand why you're doing it anyway. Okay, moving on to our news updates. And this week, the Mail on Sunday publishes an expose of Animal Rebellion's plan to disrupt the Grand National. Yes, Animal Rights Group Animal Rebellion will be protesting at the Aintree Grand National on April the 15th. Labelling the group as a vegan mob, the front page splash detailed the group's apparent plans to sabotage the horse race. An undercover reporter claimed that a group of around 100 people were set to carry out the protest. <coughs> Correct. Take <laughs> Taken to social media after a report was published, Animal Rebellion confirmed that it still planned to protest at the race and urged like-minded activists to join them in the peaceful action. Of course, the world-famous annual event runs over three days at Aintree Racecourse in Liverpool, UK. The main race, which this year takes place on Saturday the 15th, sees 40 horses run a four-mile, two-and-a-half furlong race track. The track is complete with 16 fences, 14 of which the horses have to jump twice. In total, around 150,000 people will attend the Grand National each year, with a further 600 million watching it on TV around the world. The race has been taking place since 1839. Among certain parts of society, it's a much-loved British tradition. In others, it's deemed a cruel and unnecessary event. Anne Rebellion is planning a peaceful protest to disrupt the Grand National. It's doing it to raise awareness of the cruelty inherent in using animals for sport and to urge the public to reconsider their attitude towards non-human species. The race is arguably the biggest of its kind in the world and we aim to send a clear message that using animals for entertainment or food has to end. Since the year 2000, 15 horses have been killed in the main Grand National race, with a further 20 horses having been killed on other races held during the three-day event. In addition, 24 horses have been killed on the mid-mild May course during the Grand National meeting. In total, 59 horses have lost their lives in just over two decades of racing. According to Animal Rebellion, the Grand National is just one example within a hugely problematic industry. After the mail expose was published, it was reported that police were planning to deal robustly with any disruption at the race, stating, we respect the right to peaceful protest and expression of views, but public order or criminal offences will not be tolerated and will be dealt with robustly. The force added that it had been working with the jockey club for a number of months to ensure that any necessary plans and processes are in place to deal with any incidents that may arise. I don't think there's any may arise about it. I think this is going to be happening for many obvious reasons. So watch this space. Moving on to the not so wonderful Mr. Bear Grills who has gone from a mainly plant-based diet to now actually endorsing a natural diet of liver, testicles and raw dairy. Yes, when Mr. Grills hasn't got someone's liver or balls in his mouth, 
He goes on to claim to eat what he calls ancestral supplements containing organs like pancreas, heart and testicles. Yes, you heard it, testicles. He urged his followers to check them out and added that the truth is we need more organs than just the liver. He said he doesn't eat much bread or pasta and claimed to stay away from processed foods that are full of damaging seed oils. The British adventurer, 48 years old, posted a video to Twitter detailing the foods he eats to stay strong, as well as consuming what he calls good quality grass-fed meat. He said he also throws in a bit of liver every few days. The video sparked backlash from followers with some questioning the plausibility of his advice, really? Stating, why should we change what we eat? One wrote, happy you found what's good for you, but take care of your health. Another said, the truth is, we don't need to eat more organs. Absolute nonsense. Grills went on to cite that there was so much research on how much we need to eat red meat. This is despite the fact that a great deal of research has found that plant-based and meat-free diets are perfectly fine for optimal human health. It may come as a surprise to some that Grills claims that he used to eat a mostly plant-based diet. In an interview with Louis Theroux in November, he said that his health tanked while eating vegan foods and that he certainly couldn't do 25 pull-ups. He also claimed that he now eats steak twice a day and appeared to justify his diet on the grounds that vegetables like broccoli couldn't defend themselves in nature. Wow. So let's just ignore the American Dietetic Association, the British Dietetic Association and the World Health Organization. And just because broccoli would lose a fight, we need to go back to eating two steaks a day. Fantastic work, Mr. Grills. And speaking of two steaks a day, did you know the vegan steak market is set to nearly double in 10 years, surpassing $1 billion in sales? An increasing number of people are choosing the vegan steak alternatives over beef. Analysts claim that the global vegan steak market is on track to reach 1.13 billion US dollars by 2033, almost double the current value of 598.6 million dollars. The estimation comes as alternative protein companies throughout the world are striving to create the most hyper-realistic vegan steaks. As a result, many, including Juicy Marbles and Redefined Meat, are now entering mainstream restaurants and supermarkets. A report on the vegan steak market revealed that the US is the chief driver of demand, accounting for 30% of all sales. Germany took the second spot, ranking up 16.9% of sales. These discoveries align with the observable rise in veganism in both countries. Within the next decade, the UK also has the potential to become a major contributor to the vegan steak sales. Globally, the country is identified as accepting plant-based steaks faster than any other nation, spending 52 million per year on such products currently. There is scope for this to more than double to 126 million by 2033. 
In a bid to entice both vegan and non-vegan consumers, plant-based manufacturers are looking to experimental production techniques and ingredients, and they appear to be working. Redefine Meat produces its steaks using 3D printing technology. This, it claims, faithfully replicates the muscle and fat striations of animal meat, but using wheat and soy protein. Meanwhile, Slovenian startup Juicy Marbles uses a proprietary layering technique to create its own fibrous steaks. These are now stocked in Waitrose supermarkets. The company also counts chef Marco Pierre White amongst its fans. Seemingly cornering the market for mushroom-derived cuts, US-based company Meaty has unveiled a range of products including a carne asada steak made using mycelium, the fibrous root structure of mushrooms, the company claims comparable taste and texture to beef. Big hitters like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods have also released their own takes on vegan steak. The global beef market is currently valued at around $414 billion a year and it's predicted to grow upwards of $604 billion by 2029. Despite being a far larger market, the beef sector appears uncomfortable with the traction that vegan meat is enjoying. Also undermining big meat's grip on the consumer market are an increasing number of environmental revelations, multiple credible reports, including the IPCC, cite meat as a major environmental concern. Some experts have stated that a shift away from meat and dairy is essential to fight the climate crisis. And talking of productively dealing with the climate crisis, Oxford City Council bans meat and goes fully plant-based. The council has unanimously agreed to ban meat from all internal events. Oxford City Council has voted in favour of only serving plant-based food at internal councillor events. At a council meeting held, members unanimously voted in favour of banning meat. Labour Party councillor Paul Dunn proposed the motion which was introduced over environmental concerns, stating, in the UK, we eat twice as much meat and dairy as the global average, which is not sustainable on a finite planet, as there is not enough land in the world to meet this demand. The rate at which we are eating meat and dairy is the, le is the leading cause of modern species extinctions. The council will continue, unfortunately, to serve both meat and vegan food at external council catered events. Oxford City Council follows in the footsteps of the wider Oxford County Council, which introduced a similar motion proposed by the Green Party in 2021. As well as serving only plant-based food at council events, vegan options were also introduced in some schools. The decision sparked some controversy, including from TV presenter and anti-vegan personality Jeremy Clarkson. Despite this, the council took a reasonable decision in the face of the ever-worsening climate crisis. As we know, animal agriculture is responsible for at least 14.5% of global greenhouse gas emissions. This figure is considered by many experts to be underestimated and some put it much higher. Livestock farming is also a primary driver of deforestation and biodiversity loss. It's been responsible for around 91% of Amazon destruction 
and is a leading cause of species extinction. Speaking of Amazon, last month they were accused of selling products containing illegal donkey meat. Yes, donkey-derived products face legal and ethical challenges within Amazon's product portfolio. Online retailer Amazon has reportedly been selling products containing an ingredient derived from donkeys. Listed as Gelatina Nigra or Ejao, the ingredient is a gelatin made from donkey skin in demand due to its purported health benefits. It can be found in a number of products sold on Amazon. Research conducted by Wired found that there are at least 15 edible items that claimed to contain donkey. Whilst all the listed items were sold by third parties, at least four were available to ship directly from Amazon's warehouse. Multiple petitions have been launched to appeal the e-commerce platform. However, a fresh legal bid states that the sale of products could be more than just unethical. California law practice at Evans and Page has launched a complaint on behalf of its clients, the Center for Contemporary Equine Studies, a non-profit, claims the sale of Ejao contravenes the little-known but relevant California law. Said law prohibits the sale of horse meat. The Prohibition of Horse Slaughter and Sale of Horse Meat for Human Consumption Act, signed into law in 1998, made the sale of any horse meat intended for human ingestion illegal. This is due to horses being classified as non-food animals like domestic dogs and cats. The law also includes donkeys. This is seen in the wording of the bill that talks about any equine animal. The CCES is taking the stance that donkeys are identifiable as equines and as such it states that the sale of their parts for human consumption is illegal. Stating we are a scientific organisation and not in the business of national advocacy, we want the defence to stop selling because it's illegal. The director of the Centre for Contemporary Equine Studies said that's the law. Chinese medicine particularly drives the Ejao trade, with practitioners believing the products to fight colds and other ailments. These claims are pseudo-scientific and have been questioned. A report from the animal rights organisation The Donkey Sanctuary states that donkeys are subjected to barbaric deaths simply to meet the global, global demand for Ejao. Around 5 million donkeys are killed for meat each year. They will often be beaten to death with sledgehammers and sometimes even skinned alive for their hides. Many donkeys are stolen and transported without adequate food or water, meaning around 20% arrive at slaughterhouses already dead. So what will happen to Amazon? Amazon claims to prevent items that break the local state laws from being sent out. However, no notifications were received by the wired investigators to stop them from shipping Ajo products to a California address. This could spell trouble for Amazon. If found guilty of selling products illegal in California, it could be forced to pay a fine for every donkey-based sale. Amazon has already faced a similar punishment after continuing to make foie gras available to California homes in 2018. This despite a 2004 law banning the item, it ultimately removed the offending products from its platform 
and paid $100,000 in penalties. And ending this news round on a high, a vegan of 20 years wins gold in the European Duathlon Championships. Yes, the amazing Lisa Gawthorne took home a gold medal after her performance at the European Duathlon Championships on Saturday. Team GB athlete Lisa, who is celebrating 20 years of veganism this year, has travelled worldwide competing in duathlons, previously winning bronze in the World Championships in Romania last year. Saturday the 18th of March saw her crowned the European Duathlon Champion in her age group after a fantastic performance at the Championships in Venice. Lisa explains why the win was so important to her, stating, When I sprinted over the line to hear my name called out as the category winner, it was just amazing. I was very emotional. I've put so much hard work and graft and just felt so rewarding that it all paid off to be crowned European Champion. It's even more special because this year I am celebrating my 20th vegan anniversary. I am vegan for the animals, but there are huge health and performance benefits in sport that have, without a doubt, played a significant part in my athletic journey. Longtime vegan Lisa helps to prove what is possible on a vegan diet, illustrating that you can not only survive, but thrive and succeed. As the Vegan Society's Vegan and Thriving campaign shows, well-balanced vegan diets have been proven to support excellent health. A diet rich in fruits, vegetables, whole grains and legumes can lower blood pressure, as well as decreasing the chances of getting heart disease, type 2 diabetes and some types of cancer. Demonstrating that success can go hand in hand with compassion, Lisa has influenced teammates to try a vegan lifestyle and see the benefits for themselves, saying, I am so passionate about supporting the movement and spreading positivity and well-informed knowledge with others that may be vegan curious. Over the years, I have had lots of teammates that have transitioned to vegan diets and they've told me it was I was a major influence. That means so much. Just remember, if Lisa's story has inspired you to give veganism a go, but you're not sure where to start, give Challenge 22 a go. Go and visit challenge22.com and on there you will find plenty of help on nutrition, food swaps and advice how to transition away from animal-based products. So just a quick thanks to Plant Based News and the Vegan Society for those news articles. Coming up next, this week's Animal Rights Hero.
Okay, so let's dive straight into this week's animal rights hero. And this one's quite personal to me because it's my mum. So why is my mum an animal rights hero to me? Well, at the age of 80, she took on veganism. Yes, at the golden age of 80, my mum became vegan. During lockdown, we helped her to transition to veganism. And since then, she's now aided her 79-year-old best friend to also transition to veganism for the past 18 months. As well as this, she is continually advocating for animal rights within her larger friendship group and has recently persuaded their joint club to put several vegan items on their menu. Being an ex-employee of Marks and Spencers, she has consistently requested for them to increase their vegan product range and always insists that the ex-employee meetups are held at vegan venues. She will always use her social media presence to push veganism and show just how healthy she is even at her age and I've actually used her on many times as an example of how you can thrive being vegan during street outreach. Seeing her so full of life and healthy, still able to drive, go to the gym, do yoga and various other sports with her friends is so inspiring and she truly is for me an animal rights hero and an amazing advocate for a vegan way of life. So let's move on now to our final topic of this week and that is the true meaning of abolitionist. So if you're not in the movement it's not likely that you will have heard of this expression. If you are in the animal rights movement you will most definitely heard of the abolitionist approach to animal rights. So let's start at the beginning shall we and let's look up the actual definition of abolitionist. So the term abolitionist was first coined in the 19th century and was primarily used regarding slavery. An abolitionist, as the name implies, was listed as a person who sought to abolish slavery. More specifically, these individuals sought the immediate and full emancipation of all enslaved people. Now obviously, the abolitionist state has been taken up by the animal rights movement and has been re-referred to all sentient animals, not just slaves. Then, therefore, moving on, the Oxford Dictionary states an abolitionist as a person who favours the abolition of a certain practice or institution. So an abolitionist animal rights activist is somebody that wants to see the end or abolition of all animal exploitation in whatever form that takes. And that in itself is perfectly true. Yes, as a vegan, we want to see the end of all animal exploitation in every shape or form 
as soon as is practically possible. And this is where, in recent times, the phrase abolitionist stance seems to have moved into a very grey area with lines drawn by different activists in different places. We need to understand that abolitionist is a stance and it's a sentiment, it is not a physical way of dealing with something. So what do I mean by that? Why do we want to see the end of suffering as quickly as is practical and possible and not immediately? Well, we already know from the studies carried out that we could not have a vegan world overnight. The infrastructure simply does not exist for everyone to cease eating meat and animals overnight and transfer to a whole food and plant-based diet. How is this relevant to the abolitionist stance? Well, it's relevant in the terms of the action, not the sentiment of the words. The sentiment of the words are clear. We want to see an end to animal exploitation. The actions of the words have to be involved with the practicalities of real world action. This means when we are outreaching people with animal rights advocacy, we have to take on board all the nuances of life and where that person may be currently in their life journey. And simply because they won't immediately take on an abolitionist stance, it does not make them the enemy. We cannot simply expect a 10 minute conversation in the street to be sufficient enough to get somebody to take on a complete life-changing decision. We need to be the people that put the information into the person's head in the correct manner that the change will ultimately definitely happen and stay there forever. In no part of society does abusive coercion win through. An abolitionist stance is the one and only thought process when it comes to the sentiment of animal rights. It is not part of the physical process of getting people to transition. And this is where a lot of the confusion is now coming in. With people being called animal abusers, shouted and sworn at in the streets in front of dozens of other people. Calling out people's guilt over a megaphone never changed anybody. Standing side by side with those committing the harm and having an understanding to help them see the error of their ways is a far more persuasive method. And survey after survey of vegans and why they went vegan in the first place proves this to be true. We absolutely need to keep the abolitionist stance in the forefront of our minds whilst advocating for the poor sentient animals going through the hell every single second of every single day. But we must ultimately remember that just because something feels like the right way, it isn't necessarily producing the results we perceive it to be. And if the ultimate goal is to save the lives of animals, then surely we need to be doing the best we can. When the abolitionist stance is seen as so black and white by some people, that some activists are advocating for people to have their companion animals put down to save lives, 
we are starting at the top of a very slippery slope of misunderstanding and misjudging people when we fail to take on board all the nuances of daily life. So 
So with that last piece in mind, we move on to our last item this week, which is our thought for the day. So we're going to take this along the lines of street outreach, and I would ask you to consider the phrase that has been passed around quite a bit through the movement, but actually is quite meaningful and actually is a reflection of what things should be. And the phrase is, when you're doing outreach, you should always be the vegan that you would wanted to have met yourself. And for me, that means that I would wanted to have met somebody that was considerate of where I was in my life, what was happening, the fact that they were opening my eyes to a lot of these issues for the first time. And let's face it, it's quite a lot to take on. So I guess with the abolitionist stance in mind, I would simply ask you to just remember, always be the vegan that you would have wanted to have met yourself. So just enough time to remind you of the Just Be Kind Spring Fairy Fate at the Retreat Animal Rescue Farm, Saturday the 20th of May 2023 from 12 till 4. And on that broccoli bombshell, we are out of time. Thanks for tuning in, and this one is just for you. Goodbye, no Jean. Oh, I never knew you at all. You had the grace to hold yourself But those around you crawled. They crawled out of the They whispered into your brain They set you on the treadmill And they made you change your name And it seems to me You lived your life like a candle in the wind Never knowing who to cling to When the rain set in
something more than sexual More than just our Marilyn Monroe And it seems to me 